I'm trying to cover a lot of ground in a short time and yet still hit everything. Okay, y'all ready? We're going to go to the book of Acts chapters 8 and 9. Acts 8 and 9. Now remember we're walking through the book of Acts. We've been doing this now for a couple or several weeks. This is our sixth lesson to go through. And we're just taking it verse by verse, step by step, and just walking on through. Mama walks out and she gets upset. I know how that is. We're just going to have a great time. And we're going to discuss uh, the, the book of Acts, go through some principles tonight. And you're going to see some things, uh, I hope. I hope you're going to see some things. I'm hoping I'm going to bring you some fresh bread today. I hope you're going to see some things that maybe you've never really paid attention to. And it's going to help you understand what God wants us to be in the 21st century. Amen. We're going to be the book of Acts 2.0. That's the goal. That's what our, 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 our job, our, our goal is in this life. We're trying to be what God's called us to be. I don't want to just be Pentecostal or apostolic on the sign or in name or just say, yeah, that's my demographic. No, I want to truly be apostolic. And so we're going to go to the source. We're going to go to the book of Acts and see what it means to be apostolic. So, Again, up to this point, we've seen the day of Pentecost. We've seen God work in a mighty way. We've seen 3,000 saved uh, on the day of Pentecost. We've seen 5,000 uh, in a mighty move at the, after the lame man's healed at the gate called Beautiful. We've seen a little bit of persecution. We've seen a little bit of things happen. Uh, but yet, through it all, it's been revival centered around Jerusalem. And yet, last week, we left off the stoning of Stephen the first martyr of the church, the first man, uh, the first person that we know of that's recorded in Scripture that gave literally everything for the gospel's sake. Okay? So we're going to start Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. The Bible says that Saul was consenting unto his death. Again, a reference to the death of Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria except. The apostles and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So after the death of Stephen... We've had revival in Jerusalem. Great things are happening. People are getting the Holy Ghost. People are getting healed. And then all of a sudden, Stephen is preaching. The Lord moves on him, uses him in a mighty way. And the next thing we know, he's being stoned for what he preaches and what he believes. Okay? Now, at this point, understand that the gospel message was nothing more than a reformation of Judaism. Okay? At this point... It's centered in Jerusalem. The only people leaving Jerusalem with the gospel are those that are going back home. Maybe they've made the trip uh, to Jerusalem for Passover or for one of the other feasts that the Jews would celebrate. They get a, somehow they get in contact with this gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, so there, it, there, there's no united effort. There's no movement out of Jerusalem. The church is in Jerusalem. At the very best, what's taken place at this point is that the cities surrounding Jerusalem are hearing the gospel and they're coming to Jerusalem to get their touch. Okay, So they're sick. The cities around about Jerusalem are hearing about this thing that's happening, uh, this, this Holy Ghost experience. They don't really quite understand it, but they're saying, you know what, we're sick, we've got issues, so we're going to go and find the apostles and see if we can't get some help. Okay, That's kind of their, their thought process. 
But there's a little bit of problem with this in the church. Because it was never God's intention for the church to be a Jerusalem-only church. In fact, I know we're going full circle, but if we go back to Acts 1, the very beginning of the book, Jesus tells them, Ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, I don't know what these guys were thinking, but apparently Jerusalem was the uttermost part of the earth in their thinking. Now, I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody or make anybody think less of the apostles, but the reality is the church failed in their mission up at this point. Okay? I'm convinced that the reason Stephen was stoned and the reason why Acts 8 begins with such an onslaught of persecution is it was God's way of mobilizing the church. Well, I don't know. Well, yeah, I do, I do really believe that because if you study some things, you find very quickly that nature does that. Y'all know how eagles learn how to fly? Mama throws them out the nest. <laughs> Dad always started picking Dad started picking on me when I was 18 years old. I turned 18 and he wanted to grab a plate and get a pair of ice scripts. He was going to start breaking that plate and sending me on my own. That's who was his big joke, okay? I ain't gone too far. That's that's for sure. <clears throat> the reality is eagles understand that. We understand that you if you're going to grow, if you're going to learn, if you're going to be successful, you got to go out on your own. Hey, the church was content and become, had become complacent with having great moves of God, seeing people healed, seeing a few people get the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues and just hanging out in Jerusalem, but it was never God's intent for the church to be a Jerusalem only church. I'm going to say something here, and it may scare you, but don't get scared. God never intends for Calvary Tabernacle to be an alto-only church. Well, we've only got 35 here tonight. We've only got so many. You know, we, we're not a very big church. That's okay. God never intended us to be an alto-only church. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we give to missions. That's why we get excited about revival happening across the world. We may not ever can go to Japan, but it was great to have Brother and Sister Harris here last Sunday night because we got to be a small part of a, of a worldwide church. Amen? It's not God's intention for us to sit here and think, well, we're just going to be in our own little corner of the world and do our own little thing. No, my friend. We've got to take the gospel around the world. Go study it. Go study it out. I, I, again, I'm a nerd. Y'all know this. I do a lot of reading. And everybody I read and I, I, I listen to that talks about churches in decline, churches that are dying instead of growing, it's because they are inward-focused churches. And I'm going to show you, this is very scriptural, because if you study a few chapters later, you're going to hear about a church named Ant from Antioch. The difference between the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church was the Antioch church sent and the Jerusalem church kept. Had the same spirit, had great talent, had great, both of them had great potential, but the Antioch church had a way of, of ordaining missionaries. Paul and Barnabas were two of them. Amen? 
God forbid that we get so inward focused in the church. Our needs, our circumstances, our situations. God will bless and provide for our circumstances and our situations if we will turn around and say, God, use us to bless. Whether we're sending, uh, our, going ourselves or we're sending financial support or we're praying. Hey, folks, I'm, I'm convinced that if you and I want revival, we ought to pray for the revival of others. Amen. The church, apostolic, the apostolic church of the book of Acts was required by God to look outside the four walls of the building, so to speak. And when it didn't happen, God said, time to shake some stuff up. Because this is the result of the persecution. Now, I hate persecution. Raise your hand if you like going through trials. Anybody? Okay, just making sure I was, everybody's still with me on this part. But the reality is this trial, this persecution, this situation resulted that everywhere they went, they preached the word. Yeah, they were scattered. Yes, they had problems. Yes, they were displaced. But everywhere they went, they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd say that was a pretty good deal there. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's keep reading. Because then we see something take place. We're going to switch gears just a little bit. We kind of leave the persecution of Jerusalem, the church in Judea, just for a moment. And we switch gears to a man named Stephen. I'm sorry, a man named Philip. The Bible says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Remember, he's in persecution. He's leaving. He says, you know what? I all of a sudden feel a mighty big call to Samaria. I can stay here and get killed or I can go preach in Samaria. Now, Samaria is not on the top ten destinations for the Jewish vacation. Okay, They're not. Um, in this day and age, the Samaritans are people who are, dis- are a mixed race of people that, that descend from some of the original Jewish uh, uh, folks that, that, that lived in Palestine during the uh, dispensation when, or when, when Babylon came in and took all of the Jews captive. These were kind of the, the, the descendants of the leftovers there. And they had mixed and mingled and, and with, with people of different races and different religious backgrounds. And so by the time Jesus comes around, not only they are, are they a mixed, like when you think mixed, think mixed bloodline, but they're also mixed doctrinally. Okay? So they have forms. They, they, still, they still worship Jehovah, but it's got its own little flavor going on, okay? Because it's got a lot of little different things in it. They, they're worshiping Jehovah, that's what they claim, but. But they've, they've allowed different doctrinal strains to come in. And so it's got a lot of paganism in it. It's got a lot of, uh, of weird ritualistic worship in it. Um, and I don't have time to go into it. But by the time Jesus walks the earth, the Samaritans and the Jews are not getting along. The Jews are the ones that they can trace their ancestry all the way back to Abraham. There's no question. And there's, no, there's, no, uh, there's nobody from the outside coming in. These are the pure, the pure bloods, if you will. The Samaritans are those that, ah, yeah, that's Father Abraham, but we may not can pinpoint exactly you know, what tree we come off of or what limb we come off of. Okay, That's kind of their thought. And, and, and the Jews are like, well, we worship Jehovah of the Old Testament and the temple. And, 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 and the Samaritans, well, we worship the God of Jacob and, as well, but, but we don't have to go to Jerusalem to do that. And there's a lot of mix back and forth, and it's creating a lot of strain and a lot of tension. 
I say all that to say this. When Philip feels the call to go preach, he doesn't go, he doesn't go to the Bible belt, so to speak. Okay? He goes to the place that nobody wants to go to with the gospel. This Jewish man steps into the city of Samaria and begins to preach. And this is what happens. The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Philip did not just come in the doctrine. Philip came in demonstration. Okay, Folks, if we're going to be apostolic in the 21st century, we cannot just be expert theologians discussing the finer points of God's Word. That's necessary, but it's not the only thing. We must learn how to operate and be led by the Spirit. Okay? Now, Calvary Tabernacle is not a sideshow. We're not a freak show. We're not going to pull snakes out. <laughs> Some of y'all just woke up. We're not going to do... It's not, there's nothing crazy about this. But I'm going to tell y'all right now, I'm just, maybe I'm just crazy. Y'all voted me in, so y'all, it's on y'all. But I truly believe that when we come into the house of God, we ought to expect the Holy Ghost to move. We ought to expect miracles. We ought to expect apostolic demonstration. Why? Because if God's in it, it'll happen. We can set up here and, 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 and I'm trying to be good on Wednesday nights and really just, because I, I, like I like to just throw down preach. I like to do the huckabuck and, and kick the sheetrock in and, you know, do all that fun stuff, you know, that conference type stuff. I, and I got to try to slow down and say, whoa, 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 let's, let's just teach. Let's just get into the Word. Let's get into the Word and let the Word speak for itself, okay? But I'm just crazy enough to believe that if all I do is get up here and present you a lecture on God's Word, we're missing half of it. In fact, I believe this so strongly, I believe that apostolic doctrine should always lead to apostolic demonstration. If you take apostolic doctrine away, you fail to have apostolic demonstration. They should work together. But we should never be a word-only church. Now, I know that may be scaring somebody, but here's what I mean by that. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Everybody with me so far? John chapter 1. Here's what happened. If the Word would have just been the Word, we'd still be lost. But the Word, John said, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Too many times we get caught up with Word only. It's time for the Word to put on flesh. Is everybody with me so far? He went to Samaria. Philip went to Samaria and said, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to preach to you about the gospel. Let me, let, but here's what's going to happen. As I'm preaching about the gospel, the Spirit of God is going to move in this house. And you're going to experience some things you've never seen. This Jewish man walked in the city of Samaria in a time of massive racial tension. And said, I got a word for you folks. 
had that happened, it would be like, uh, I'm just going to be real, it'd be like me walking into the hood in Milwaukee right after What's-His-Face got shot. I got a word from God. They're not going to listen to me. They ain't going to let that white man tell, me, tell them what to do. Am I being too blunt? I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't talk like that. I'm going to. That, that, that was the same equivalent. The difference was is that Philip said, you know what, I'm going down there and I'm going to show them that the God I know loves them too. Amen. Amen. The God I know loves them. And so I'm going to where they are and we're going to see God work. Amen. We've got to have that same thing working in our lives. We've got to be full of apostolic doctrine, understand apostolic doctrine, but operate as well in apostolic demonstration. Amen. Amen. And because he operated in that, there was great joy in the city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out him that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. To him they had regard, because of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Amen. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wandered, beholding the miracles and signs that were done. I wanted to read that to you because I want to point something out very quickly. There was a man in Samaria. We know him to be Simon. He was a man of great influence. He was the spiritual guru of their city. He was the pastor of their city, for lack of a better term. But he had some crazy ideas. He thought he was something special. He proclaimed himself to be something special. And he had used, attempted to use the supernatural to to twist and conform it to meet his own, own agenda. Here comes Philip operating in the supernatural. And they get joy when they've seen Simon twist the supernatural And they're subjected or bewitched by him. Okay? Uh, Let me say it like this. When we talk about apostolic demonstration and apostolic authority and all of those things, we must be extremely careful that we're not trying to twist somebody into doing what we tell them to do. Again, I'm thankful for elders. I'm thankful, and, 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 and I've, I've had a privilege to be around a lot of great men of God, including our bishop. But I've learned, I've learned over the last several years that the gifts of the Spirit and the unction of the Holy Ghost is done, must be done in, through, and by love. It must be done in, through, and by love. And the day you and I attempt to operate in a supernatural realm, the day we try to operate in the gifts of the Spirit out of what we can promote ourselves and how we can make ourselves look good, we've missed it. You're operating out of flesh, not out of spirit. Now, Time for transparent. Time to be transparent. I have prayed, God, I want you to use me in the gifts of the Spirit. God, I want, I want to see miracles. I want to see signs and wonders. I want to dream dreams and see visions. God, and and, and I, think, I think that's a, a good prayer to pray. Unless 
Your job is to, your goal is to impress somebody, validate your ministry, go somewhere, do something bigger. See, the, 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 the trick is, or, the, or the, the problem is, is when we say, you know what, if, if I could just, if the Lord would just use me in the gifts of healing, and I can, I can have a healing ministry, and then I can go preach everywhere. You know, if the Lord will just use me to operate in the gift of prophecy, then, then you know, I, I could, I, there's no telling. The sky's the limit in the organization. I'm going to pick on our TBC students a little bit. Sometimes it's, it's easy to feel that way and think, if I can just find that niche where God's going to use me, then I'll be somebody and something. Well, guess what? It's not going to work. Simon was twisting the things of God. I'd, this may cross somebody's theology. I'm not 100% sure on this because we don't really get a lot of Scripture for it. But remember, the Samaritans have some foundation in the Torah, in the Old Testament. Okay, They have some knowledge of Jehovah. I'm convinced that Simon had a, had a touch, had, a, had a, an experience with God. But somewhere along the way, and you can go back and study it... Um, Balaam, the prophet in the book of Numbers, I believe it's the book of Numbers when he comes and prophesies against uh, Israel. A lot of commentaries will say he was, a, he was a, a prophet of Jehovah, but somewhere along the line, he got twisted. And it became, I, I, I'll prophesy for my own benefit. I'll prophesy for my own profit. Right? That, well, I'm, I'm getting down a rabbit hole. we got to quit. The reality is we've got to make sure that we operate in, through, and by love. Simon's biggest problem was that he tried to push his own agenda and tried to be something God didn't ever want him to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then they, verse, I want to go backtrack just a second. Verse 12, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, what happened? They were baptized, both men and women. The result... Of believing the word of God in the book of Acts chapter number 8. Was for people to be baptized in his name. Folks. You and I can't just say we believe if we don't act. Mark 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What's he saying? That your your belief will prompt you to obey. Amen? And so we must, we must obey the gospel. Okay? Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Why? They had received the word, they had seen miracles, and on top of that they had been baptized. Why did the apostles send Peter and John to pray for them to receive the Holy Ghost. Luke tells us, For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, they heard, they had received the word, they had had miracles happen, they had seen God move, they had had great moves of God. They had all been baptized after hearing the gospel message preached. We're talking about revival. The city is being moved. But there's one little problem. They've never received the Holy Ghost. Which prompted the leaders of the church to say, as long as they are only half born, they're not born. 
He sent them, or the apostles sent James and John, or Peter and John to see the fulfillment of the new birth experience. And so when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. There was a visible manifestation of the Spirit. What is that? We know if we start studying the rest of the book of Acts, and we'll get to it, they were speaking in tongues and they received, when they received the Holy Ghost. And so the apostles knew that they had received the Holy Ghost. I will say it, if it's, if it's important enough for the leaders of the church in Acts chapter 8 to stop a revival to pursue the gift of the Holy Ghost, it is important enough, I don't care how many miracles you've seen, I don't care, what, how you've, I don't care if you've been baptized or not, I don't care if you've received the Word of God with joy, you and I still need to be baptized with His Spirit. Filled with His Spirit. Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I may lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. And Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon thee, come upon me. Okay? Again, going back just a second, Simon sees them lay hands on these, on these new believers. They receive the Holy Ghost and Simon says, I want that. How much is it going to cost me? Now, I've seen this. I've, I've dealt with this, but I've seen this even in others. I've dealt with it in my own self. As a young preacher especially, Man, if I could preach like so-and-so, if I could pray like so-and-so, if I could prophesy like so-and-so. And we at Pentecost have a real bad habit of thinking anointing is like homemade barbecue sauce. And we're trying to get the secret recipe. And if this preacher will just give me his secret recipe, I'll be just as anointed. That's not how it works. It is the gift of God. He imparts it to every man severally as he will. He's fitted us in the body as it's pleased him, not us, as it's pleased him. Amen. Amen. We're fitly framed together to, to help the entire... We've all got a place in the body, but it's God's job, not our job, to try to figure that out. Amen. Simon again steps out thinking, I'm, I'm, man, I'm just going to be somebody great. These guys leave. And God gets a hold of Simon and says, boy, you better, you better buck up. You better get right. Because if you don't get right, you're going to be in big trouble. Amen. You, got, you better get right. Peter tells him you better repent. Because if you don't repent, you're going to be in major trouble. And the church can get bogged down trying to be like so-and-so. Trying to do like so-and-so. Trying to be effective like so-and-so. And God says, wait a minute. So-and-so can't save you. Now, I believe in having mentors. And I believe in having, uh, 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 you know, not only a pastor, but mentors to help and, and teach. That's all. That's biblical, folks. But this idea that I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, Lord help us, that I'm just gonna, I'm gonna just copy everything so and so does. That's not right. God gives the anointing. 
Amen. Well, I hope we didn't get too far off there. Okay, let's keep, let's keep talking. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Revival began to break out. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way which goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot read, Esaias the prophet. Philip leaves the revival to go after one lost soul. Not a church, not an organization, one lost soul. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God says, I want you to go. Go that way. I'm going I'm to put you in the right path of somebody. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip and said, Arise. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm past that. I apologize. The Spirit said unto Philip, Go near. Join thyself to this chariot. Philip ran thither. Heard him read the prophet Isaiah, or the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb done before a shear, he opened not his mouth, and his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? What he was reading was Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. He was reading about the Messiah. God puts this man Philip in his path to begin to explain some things to him. Okay? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Notice this next verse. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And if y'all, if y'all could have guessed what the revival services would have been like in the first century church, it was very simple. They just preached Jesus. At camp meeting, they preach Jesus. At the conferences, they preach Jesus. At the normal Wednesday night Bible study, they just preach Jesus. It seems like the only thing they were concerned about was Jesus. Apparently, it was effective because it turned the world upside down. My, my, what would happen if we all started preaching Jesus again? Well, glory. I'm I'm in trouble. I know I am. I like, man, I do, as a preacher, I, I, I want to give y'all a, a, a unique title, some good points. Man, I want it to, sound, I want it to be fresh bread. And I've, I found sometimes, I, I put a sermon together, and, and man, I just, whew, this was a good one. I know it's going to be a good one. Man, it's going to be good. And it ain't a good one. I'm saying it nicely. And then I'll come in here and think, I don't know what I'm going to preach tonight. I'm just going to preach something about Jesus, I guess, and the place blow up. It's funny how that works. I'll tell you how it works. If we'll just get our focus on the main thing. (laughs) It's the foolishness of preaching that saves us. I want to amend that verse that the Apostle Paul talked about. I'd like to say it like this. It's the preaching of Jesus. The foolishness of the preaching of Jesus that saves us. Amen. Me giving you a lecture on theology is not going to help you near as much as me telling you about the Savior I know. Amen. Amen. I've heard elder ministers say, and I believe Brother Billy Cole was was one of the big proponents of this, that said, if you want to see miracles, don't preach on faith or healing. Preach on the oneness of God. Preach on the oneness of God and you'll see more miracles than if you preach on faith or preach on healing. When you preach on who He is, He cannot deny who He is. Well, glory. i got to be careful. 
Again, this is Wednesday night Bible study. I got, I got places to be. I got to get through chapter 9 or y'all going to be in trouble. <laughs> oh my. So Philip opened his mouth and began to preach unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I want you to pay very close attention to this last part of Acts chapter 8. He said, as he's preaching to him Jesus, preaching to him about the Messiah... That leads them to a discussion about baptism. If you see the progression there. We don't know all that he said. We just know that it led them to a progression of baptism. To which the eunuch said, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? That Greek word is baptizo. It means to dip, plunge, or immerse. Okay? Now understand, this is very important here. Because there are people, and I'm not trying to be ugly, but there are people who believe that you can be baptized with a sprinkling or a dipper. Okay? If that's the case, then the Greek word for dip, plunge, or immerse would have not been used. They would have used a totally different word. There are other Greek words to convey that message. But the authors of biblical text, when talking about baptism, use the word that would literally mean to plunge into or to bury or to cover. Okay? So everybody with me so far? When Philip and the eunuch reached this water, the eunuch said, Here is water. What hinders me to be baptized? Remember, they're traveling in a desert. They have water with them. We'll call it a canteen. They have water in their canteen. Okay? They have the ability to drink. They would not have survived in a desert. And so had they had it with their canteen, if it would have just been a sprinkling or a dipper being poured over them, they could have done that and it really would not have been that big of a deal. But in Acts chapter 8, when they came to a body of water, we don't know how big, we don't know details, we just can infer some things. The Bible says, he says, wait a minute, that looks like a good place to do what we need to do. And Philip said, if you believe with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I hope you're reading it right because he didn't say, I believe he's the second God and a triune Godhead. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he, he is the embodiment of Jehovah. That's what he's saying. Okay, He's declaring this. Okay, And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water. Okay? They didn't just stand at the bank. They went down, both of them, into the water. Apparently, this pool was big enough for both of them jokers to get into it. Amen? This is important because we want to be apostolic. The Bible says that when they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, that he baptized him. Again, this was not a mere sprinkling over. This was a complete immersion. They were in the water and he immersed him completely in the water. The apostolic method of baptism has always been and always will be the complete immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay? And when that happened, the Bible says that when they came up out of the water, they've been in it, now they've come up out of it. Okay? You see, it, it's a big, it's not just a little few drops. They, they were immersed. Okay? 
that the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, passing through, he preached in all the cities, till he came to Caesarea. God began to work in such a way, and, and, and there is... There is history for this. I don't have time to go into it. But for the sake of time, let me just suffice it to say that apparently this eunuch, this, this official from Ethiopia, went back to Ethiopia and they had revival in Ethiopia. Uh, and, and, and Ethiopia, even, even in the modern Pentecostal movement, has always held a, a, a beautiful place. If you read the stories of Brother and Sister Freeman in Ethiopia, you'll see God always had something special for the nation of Ethiopia on the continent of Africa. Amen. Amen. So God's moving not just in Jerusalem now. He's in Samaria. He's on another continent. He's moving all over the place. And now we come back to Paul. And I promise I'm watching the time. So if we get to 8 o'clock and I'm only halfway through, we'll stop and I won't kill you tonight. Okay? Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. So Paul goes, again, he's a Pharisee, he's a high-ranking, uh, he's very prominent in, the Jerusalem, in Jerusalem and in Judaism. He is the golden child of Judaism, and there's even some that believe he was next in line, or he was in line to serve as the high priest over Israel. Okay, so again, we don't have really proof for that, that's just what some commentators believe. Okay, he goes, he goes to the high priest and he says, let me tell you, we got to stomp out this thing called Christianity. And we're, I want you to give me the ability, the authority to go into Damascus and Syria and some of these other places and to take every person that claims to follow this carpenter from Nazareth and allow me to throw them in jail and we'll get rid of it. And so that's what happens. And the Bible says that as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? In a miraculous, awe-inspiring moment, as he's traveling to destroy the church, the Lord shows up. And a bright light appears. Now, we're, it must have been really bright because he's on the road. He's outside. It's daytime. And this light shines. And it makes him fall to the ground. And he hears a voice. Why are you persecuting me? Okay? This is important. Catch what I'm about to say. Because if you don't, you're going to miss the basis of all of Paul's writings. Okay? His letters, his preaching, everything is about to change, right? This is the junction where it changes for him. This Jewish man who is, by some accounts, in line to be the high priest, the most prominent position in Judaism. He's the general superintendent of the Jews, okay? He's the head honcho. That's, that's he, what he's training for. This orthodox, monotheistic Jew cries out in this moment and says, Who art thou, Lord? He uses the word Adonai. Why? Because it's illegal to use the word Yahweh. They've outlawed that. No man can say the name of God. Okay, I've mentioned that before in passing. Here he's saying, who are you Adonai? He's not just saying a, respect, a thing of respect. He knows, he is face to face with something supernatural. And he is at a crossroads in his life. 
Who are you, Lord? It's read in your Bible, folks. He says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Folks, this Orthodox Jew, widely studied, incredibly intelligent, monotheistic to the core, believes that there's only one God. Won't say his name, but they believe he's only one God. Comes face to face with a supernatural moment and says, this has got to be God, so I want to know who he really is. And the voice says... I'm Jesus. Now folks, there is none other. That's why, that's why John the Baptist sent his, his disciples to Jesus and said, Ask him, are you the one or do we look for another? And Jesus said, you see the lame walking? You see the, see the deaf hearing? Do you see the open the, of the blind eyes? Do you see that the lepers are cleansed? Do you see all that? You know what, he's, what Jesus is saying? He's saying, John, I need you to remember that the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah who would come as God in flesh, who would do miracles. He would open the blind eyes. He would cleanse lepers. He would raise the dead. He would make the lame walk. There's a list of them in, in the Old Testament of things that he would do. He's saying, hey, I need you to recognize me for, for who I am, not just what I'm doing. I need you to recognize me for who I am. Paul has this same moment on the road to Damascus and he comes face to face with the revelation that Jesus is the I am of the Old Testament. The God I've served for years, the God I'm so dedicated to and who I'm going about to do this business for is the God that just spoke to me out of the light and said, I'm Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? Amen. Notice the phrase, he says, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That's a farming uh, uh, phrase. Uh, basically, uh, when, a, when an ox was pulling the plow or pulling the cart, they would use a, a prick or a goad, a sharp stick to, to, to prod him on. And, and, and a stubborn oxen, a stubborn uh, beast would try to kick against it. But he, he was, he was, what he was trying to do is, what that ox was saying when he would kick against it is, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to go where you want me to go. I, I don't want to pull what you want me to pull. He was trying to kick against the prick or the goad. And what Jesus is telling Paul here is saying, Hey, i got a plan. i got a purpose. i got a road you're going to be on and a load you're about to carry. But you've got to stop kicking against my wheel. You've got to let me sit on the throne in your life. Amen. And the men, are, are, verse 6, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Now, he's in a crossroads. He's recognized. This is, this is Jehovah of the Old Testament. What do you have me to do? And the Lord said, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee that thou, what thou must do. The men which journeyed with him stood speechless. They heard a voice, but they saw no man, and Saul rose from the earth. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. He was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. This is significant. Paul goes into a season of fasting. He's blinded. He's not able to see naturally. He goes into a season of fasting and prayer. 
It's amazing. He's about to have a visitation like none other. And when he has a visitation, the scales are going to fall off of his eyes. He's going to see again and he's going to get revelation. It's the exact same thing that happens in the book of Exodus chapters 19 and 20. Moses, we want to see God. Okay? This is what God tells him. Tell them to sanctify themselves and fast for three days. And on the third day, I'm going to show up in their world and I'm going to give them revelation. I'm going to give them revelation of who I am. And I'm going to give them revelation of what they are to do. It is at that moment in Exodus 19 and 20. That they, after they've sanctified themselves. That the Spirit of God moves on Mount Sinai. They see the cloud. They hear the thundering. And God speaks out of the darkness of the cloud. And says, I am the Lord. I brought you out of Egypt to be my people. And then he gives them ten commandments. He gives, starts giving them the law. It's who he is and what, he is, what they are to do with that revelation. Paul is in the same exact crossroads now. He's there. He's coming face to face with his calling and what he's supposed to do. For three days he fasts. And then God shows up to a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. To him said the Lord in a vision. Ananias, and he said, behold, I'm here, Lord. Man, he's ready for something great. The Lord's going to give him a great assignment. He says, arise and get into the street which is called Straight. And inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a, name, a man named Ananias coming in and praying, putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. And Ananias said, hold up, Lord. You said, Saul of who? Oh, I know we read the scriptures like these guys have got super faith. But he said, wait up. Hold on. You just said that Saul of Tarsus is at Damascus. Isn't he the one that's been... It's already been noised abroad. It's already been told that he's coming from Jerusalem to destroy the church. You want me to walk up in his living room and pray for him? What's funny to me is this is the only time in Scripture we hear of Ananias. We don't hear a revival that he preached. We don't hear of any miracles that he did. We don't hear anything outside of this little passage of Scripture about this man in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said unto Ananias, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way. We don't hear anything about Ananias outside of this passage of Scripture. This is not the same Ananias and Sapphira of chapter 5. This is a totally different Ananias. We don't hear anything great about him. But let me tell you, a little unknown character in your Bible that heard just a few, vo- few words from the Most High, did exactly what God called him to do, and it changed the trajectory of the church. You want to be apostolic in the 21st century? Then the, the reality is, it's being faithful to the voice of God. It's being, fa- being spirit-led and being faithful and obedient to His voice. It doesn't require us to try to manufacture something. It doesn't require us to try to do, uh, reach a certain quote-unquote level of success. It simply means that we are obedient to the voice of God and doing what He's called us to do. So Ananias, when his way entered into the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, the greatest miracle is not your eyes being open physically. It is the reception of the gift of the Spirit of God. 
if you don't get any miracle out of this thing, you go ahead and know that the greatest miracle is still when a sinner comes before the righteous throne of mercy and is filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. I'm almost done. I promise. We're not going to get through chapter 9. Okay? The Bible says that immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. He received sight forthwith, arose, and was baptized. He said, wait a minute, I found something. I've got to be baptized. Okay? And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples that were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Saul said, You know what? I now know who Jesus is. I didn't understand it, but I now know who Jesus is is. And I'm going to do everything I can to tell the world about Jesus. People didn't understand it. They scratched their heads and said, isn't this cat that was supposed to come and take us to jail for believing in Jesus? What's going on with him? And the last verse I read, it says, it was proving that this is very Christ. You can translate that two ways tonight. You can look at that and say the first way that only Jesus can take a life that is messed up, doing the wrong thing, living the wrong way, and make a preacher out of him. Put him on the path of holiness and fill him with the Spirit and clean him up and give him a brand new song and a brand new identity. Only Jesus could do that. But you could also look at it as Saul's personal commission or his personal testimony was not to talk about how bad he was or how good he had become. It was simply this, to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ that we've been waiting on. Again, we've come kind of full circle tonight, but I need, to be, need us to be reminded that if we are to be apostolic in the 21st century, we've got to be outward focused, not inward focused. And we've got to give this world not a 12-step program. Those have those, their place. Not another counseling session. Those have their places. I'm not belittling any of that. That's all necessary. The tools are necessary. But at the same time, if we're going to be truly apostolic, we must first and foremost give them Jesus. That's it. I wish I could give you something else. It's not kids programs or choirs. It's not great talent or big buildings. It's not after school programs or daycares. The church's responsibility is to give the world Jesus. That's it. Hallelujah. 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 I want to be apostolic in the 21st century. How about you? Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet?